For those of you who are, who are parents, uh, maybe this, you know, you're gonna have to think back a long time ago, but uh, when your kids were little, uh, did you ever think to yourselves, let's, let's watch a movie or let's watch a show that we so enjoyed when we were kids and let, you know, experience this with the kids. Now, um, Sarah, Sarah and I grew up in the 80s, and I don't know if you remember what movies were like in the 80s, uh, but uh, we rediscovered what movies were like in the 80s when we went to watch them with the boys. And we would watch something that we saw as, as kids and, and the, the, the language or the violence, and we would look at each other and go, was that always in there? Um, or, or maybe the, the Disney movies. Uh, surely you've watched the Disney movies with your kids or your grandkids, and, uh, and you've thought to your, you've, you've just watched the, the uh, adult innuendo that's, that's, in, that's just loaded in these children's programs and movies. And you just think to yourself, is that really in there? And then of course you look at the kids and they're laughing or giggling and, and they're not realizing what's going on. Uh, but, but as adults, you're like, Really? Well, this morning, we're gonna look at this story of the fall of Jericho. And like I said, when I was a kid, this was a great story because you had uh, Joshua, who as a young man was a spy. He grew up, uh, he became the leader of the, uh, of the army of the Lord, and he was taking the people in, and this was their first battle, and they were victorious. Uh, but I've gotta say, as an adult, you, when you read this, um, it, have you ever read it as an adult and just kind of asked yourselves a couple questions? Like, is it okay that they destroyed the whole city? Like every man, woman, and child burned the thing? To, like, is that, is that okay? Is that not what we call genocide? So we're going to kind of dig into this this morning. Pray for me that, uh, that uh, hopefully I can bring some, some clarity and understanding and not more confusion. Um, but we're going we're gonna to look at this uh, story together this morning. So let's, let's just pray before we dig into the Word. Heavenly Father, we want to understand your Word. We want to understand who you are. We want to understand how you operate, uh, what you have for us this morning. Lord, we believe uh, that every knee will bow at your name. We believe uh, that you have uh, brought salvation to the earth through your Son, and we have put our faith and our trust and our hope in him, and that one day we'll be with you. Uh, so, Lord, as we uh, dig into your word this morning, give us understanding. Uh, help us to know how we can apply this. Lord, would this be an opportunity for us to understand how we can even minister to those who are hurting or have questions? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're actually going to start in, in, at the end of chapter 5, which we, uh, we didn't get to uh, two weeks ago. And uh, we, we looked at these few verses, uh, I think, in October of last year. Um, but, um, but we're going to just uh, take a look at it uh, this morning, and uh, I have a little note that fell out of my Bible. Thank you for everything, with a little red heart colored on it. That was for one of your kids. Not one of my kids, one of your kids. <laughs> uh, but uh, Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 says this. Um, when, when Josh was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us 
or for our adversaries? It's a good question. We've been talking about the people of Israel. They've come across the Jordan River. Uh, the Lord has said to them, this is the, this is the land of, of Canaan. Uh, wherever your footsteps, I will give you this land. No man will be able to stand before you. I will give, I'm going to give you everything. And so as, they're, as, as they're, they've crossed onto, over the, in, into the uh, land of Canaan, uh, they've been in for, for several days, maybe a week or so, uh, and, uh, and, and Joshua comes across this man and he says, are you for us or for our adversaries? The man said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy, and Joshua did so. So we're, we're just going to just take a minute right here. We could preach a, a whole sermon on this. We could spend several weeks here probably, but we, we did talk about it some in the fall. Just a couple of thoughts here. Um, as we've been working through these first chapters of Joshua, God has continually given Joshua and the people promises. In the, in the first chapter, uh, there were several. God said, I'm giving you the land. God said to them, where, where the sole of your foot will tread, that land will be yours. No man will stand against you. They, God promised to them, I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. The Lord your God will go with you wherever you go. When we looked at chapter three, this is when, the, when they crossed the Jordan River, we saw they put the Ark of the Covenant out first. It was well out in front of the people and just symbolized they weren't coming up with this plan on their own. The uh, Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God and they were saying, we are following God. We are following his plans for us. Um, and so here Joshua meets this man and so it seems like a reasonable question. Hey, are, are you for us? Or are you against us? And of course, uh, God introduces himself to Joshua. His answer was, no, I'm not for you. I'm not against you. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. God wasn't for Joshua. God wasn't against Joshua. God just was, and God is today. And the question is, are we for God? Are we willing to join God where he's doing and what he's doing? And, and when we look at uh, Joshua's response, it should be our response today, his response was, um, oh man, I am so glad you're here. Let me tell you what we're planning. You know, I've kind of been, I've been scoping out the city. Let me tell you how we're gonna take it. That wasn't his response to God. Often in life, we make our plans and, and say to God, hey, this is what I'm planning to, you, to do. Will you bless it for me? And uh, that's not Joshua's response here. So let's look and see what he did uh, before we move on. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped. His response was to worship God. He realized he was in God's presence and so he worshiped God. And then he said to God, what does my Lord say to his servant? So he fell on his face before God and said, God, what do you want me to do? And of course, God responded to him and the last uh, words of this chapter says, and Joshua did so. 
when, when Joshua came into God's presence, he fell on his face, he worshiped him. He said, God, what would you have me to do? And then he went and he did it. And I think that's a great example for us today. Hopefully this morning we came and we, you participated as Peter led and the choir led in worship of God. We came this morning and we have worshiped God. Now we're opening up his word and hopefully the question on your heart is the question on my heart, Lord, what would you have us to do? And we open up his word to see what it says for us. And then as we go out the door here in a few minutes, I pray that it would be on all of our hearts to go and do what God's called us to do. It should be what we do uh, in our personal time with the Lord. Whether you do it in the morning, in the afternoon, or in the evening, at some point during the day, during your week, I hope that you are coming to the Lord and just worshiping him. Lots of times we do that through prayer. You know, our prayer should be more than just our request, but it should be um, um, just praises to God, thankfulness to God for who he is. And then hopefully we open our, our, our Bibles in our own time and we say, Lord, what would you have me to do as we read it? And then we close it up and we go and do what God's called us to do. So this, Joshua sets a great example for us um, here in these verses. Now it'd be easy to say, well, yeah, but Joshua was like literally standing before God. That's never happened to me. Maybe it's happened to some of you, I don't know. It's, it certainly has not happened to me. But we go back to chapter, parts of chapter three and chapter four when they crossed the river and we talked a couple weeks ago. When God does a work in your life, we want to remember what he's done for us. Uh, we want to be sure to understand what he's instructing us to do. Remember, they, they set the, the stone memorial after they crossed. They were um, obedient to God through circumcision, and then they remembered their salvation by observing the Passover. So the people put it, made it a habit of remembering when God worked in their lives so that when God called them to do something, they would say, he's been faithful in the past, he'll be faithful in the future. And so uh, this is a, a great response from Joshua. He worships, he says, God, what would you have me to do? And he now goes and does what God asked him to do. So what did God ask him to do? What did Joshua go and do? Chapter six, uh, verses one and two. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out, none came in. The Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. So this is, again, a repetition of this promise that uh, God is saying to Joshua, I am the one that is giving this land to you. This is not about what you are gonna do, this is about what I am doing. And uh, if, if we were to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 11, um, this, is, this is what uh, Moses said to the people. This was what God said to Moses and Moses passed along to the people in Joshua chapter 11. Uh, for if you will be careful to do all this commandment that I command you to do, loving the Lord your God, walking in all his ways, holding fast to him, then the Lord will drive out these nations before you, and you will dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. Every place on which the sole of your, of your foot treads will be yours. And then it, uh, verse 24 it tells them how great the territory is. 25, no one shall be able to stand against you against you, the Lord your God will lay the fear of you and the dread of you on all the land that you tread as he promised. So it is the 
Lord that drove out, will drive out the nations before him. It is the Lord that put the fear into the hearts of the Canaanites, the hearts of the people in the city of Jericho. And God's making something very clear that it is him that is about to do the work. And when we see uh, things happening in our lives and we want to take credit for it, we have to step back and say, no, this is the work of God in our lives. And we can go all the way back to, um, uh, to Abraham when God promised to Abraham that he would be a great nation and that his descendants would possess this land. This is God fulfilling his promise. So how's God going to do this? Verse 3, chapter 6 of Joshua. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Okay, Joshua's probably thinking, we'll do a little intimidation, right? We'll march around, we'll show them all of our troops, we'll show them, we'll show them what we've got, that we're mighty in number. This you will do for six days. Seven priests will bear, bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you'll march around the city seven times, and the priests will blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people will shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. Sounds like a six-year-old making these plans, right? If we really think about it, um, you know, when you're playing with your kids and they're like creating this, this, this world and you're having a battle with them and maybe they're playing Lego or, or, or uh, the, uh, with, their, with their toys and they're like, okay, dad, you're gonna do this and I'm gonna, and you have to suspend reality and use your imagination, right? And when you're using your imagination, you're like, okay, this will work. But this is, this, isn't, this, is, this is God giving Joshua and the people of Israel the instructions. You're just gonna, you're gonna march around once a day for six days. The seventh day you'll march around seven times. Now, when we think about the walled city of Jericho, and we're talking about a strong fortress, and we're talking about um, 40 years earlier, the spies went in and they said, look, they have walled cities, these people are strong, uh, we won't be able to take them. So then we start to think about, I don't know what you're thinking about. If you've watched Lord of the Rings, some of these fortresses that, uh, that, that are to be conquered, but we're not talking about the city of Atlanta. We're talking about a, a walled city that in this day probably had two or 3,000 people inside of it. So while it was a, a major feat for its day and it was a large city and it was fortified, we're talking about maybe you know, once, once it was it turn, you, the turn for, 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 for you to march, maybe it took an hour, two hours to, to walk around the city. They did it seven times on the last day. It's not that big of a city. And so they, they marched around and uh, there has to be some questioning. What is God doing? Like this is, this is foolish. What will, what will we accomplish? Um, but it makes me, it reminds me of a, a verse in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. Uh, for the word of the cross, or the message of the cross, the preaching of the cross, is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So if those, those, those guys in the, in the city of Jericho, you know, day five, day six, maybe they were starting to get their hopes up. Look, if this is all these guys are going to do, well, maybe we'll be all right. 
uh, they were thinking that it was foolish, but God works in his ways, in his timing, and not always in our ways, in our timing. And so we have to be patient, we have to put our trust in God. So let's, let's, let's continue and look here in, in the book of Joshua, chapter six, um, and see what happens. If you were to continue reading, um, basically uh, the, the passage continues. They did exactly what God told them to do. They marched once on the first day, uh, they marched once on the second day, third, fourth, fifth, sixth day. Uh, the command was not to shout, not to make noise, but to just march, and then on the seventh day, they marched seven times around the city. They blew a trumpet. There was a great shout. Let's read this part. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn. This is verse 15. Marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city, and that is all that is within it, shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction. Keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. So basically Joshua's saying you keep the gold, you keep the silver, you keep the bronze, you keep the iron, everything else will be destroyed. Verse 20, the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout. The wall fell down flat so the people went up into the city every man straight before him, just as God said it would be, and they captured the city. Verse 21, this is where as, as parents, you know, the kids think this is a great story. As parents, should we raise an eyebrow and say, verse 21, then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, donkeys, with the edge of the sword. I wanna just stop there for a minute and, and talk about this verse. Um, I don't know about you, but, but uh, maybe you've come into contact with somebody who said, you know, I like Jesus. You know, he was a good person. He took care of the poor and the sick. Uh, he, he, didn't, he, didn't, he, he didn't have to rub shoulders with the rich and the popular, and, and he, he did things right, but God? I've read some of those verses in the Old Testament, and I don't know if I like what I read there. And this probably is one that they would be referring to. Um, and so it's hard questions and um, sometimes hard questions are hard to answer. So it makes them a hard question. And sometimes uh, the hard questions are hard to uh, receive the answer when you're in the middle of it. Uh, and, and it seems like we're more than, more than ever maybe, or more than in a long time, I've had people come to me and they're asking the hard questions. You know, the loss of a loved one before it seemed to be time. Um, this, this coronavirus that's going around and, and causing what would normally be a young and strong and healthy person to fight off a virus, but they end up in the hospital or perhaps, uh, perhaps even die at a young age. Um, you know, we have, we have 
families showing up to church this morning with uh, vehicles that are just full of kids, and then we, we have others who can't seem to have a child together. Um, so sometimes we end up asking the question, why me? Or God, why does this happen? Um, Don asked me to, and I forgot Don, he sent me a text this morning, he said, Pastor, can we pray for the people of New Orleans? Another major hurricane headed their way this morning. And you think, man, they didn't, why God? And certainly with with this question, um, we would say, Lord, why did every man, woman, child, young, old, every animal, So let me, let's talk about this intellectually for a minute, understanding that the intellectual conversation doesn't always help when your heart is hurting. Uh, but maybe by understanding intellectually, we can uh, then get to, get, to the, get to the heart. So a couple of things that we, we see in scripture. One, Jesus never said that life was gonna be easy. Uh, in fact, he said in this world we would have trouble but that he would be with us and that he would give us peace in the midst of trouble. We even see in this passage with, with Joshua, we've been talking about the promises of God and what God's promised is not an easy life, but God has promised to Joshua and the people over and over that I will be with you. Um, we could say, we could say um, well, God created a perfect world and, uh, and that was his desire, that Adam and Eve would live in the garden and it would be harmonious and he would come and he would commune with them and he would uh, uh, have this wonderful relationship with them and that Adam and Eve turned their back on God and did the one thing that he said, he put up a boundary and said, look, for your protection, I don't want you to go here. I don't want you to eat this fruit. They turned their back on God and they did it anyways. And everyone, you, me, we have done that. We've turned our back on God, and instead of choosing his way, we've chosen our own way. And so the, like a, a, a domino effect uh, from this perfect garden, we now live in a world that is far, far, far from perfect. Those things maybe help. We could talk about God's character, God's righteousness, his holiness, and his justice, uh, God cannot have anything to do with sin. His, these parts of, of who God is demand that he be separate from sin. And so uh, this fallen world that we live in has, in a sense, we have separated ourselves from God. Not that he has pushed us aside, but we have left his side. But we could also talk about God's love and his grace and his mercy. And because of his love and his grace and his mercy, despite our sin, God has always provided a way for a relationship with him. Scripture says that we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the, of the glory of God, we've, we've all been like sheep and we've turned our own way. But God in his mercy offers us grace through our faith in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. So even uh, we can, we can I'm, I'm, I'm just giving some intellectual, some truth from the scripture uh, that maybe helps us to kind of gain an understanding. There's this, uh, Mike, um, I don't know if, if Mike uh, Richards is here this morning, but prayer meeting maybe two weeks ago, 
Uh, he said, Jeff, and, and to the group, he said, I'm not sure uh, why, but the Lord's laying this on my heart that I share this information with the group. And, uh, well, I don't have it. <laughs> it's, I'll come across it. But uh, it was, uh, the, the numbers here will be approximate, around 155,000 people. That doesn't sound right. I'm just gonna, I'll, I'll stick with it till I correct myself. 150,000 people die every day. 11% of people in the world profess to be born again Christians. So the quick math puts us around 135,000 people per day dying without putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's, that, that comes to, I did some, the math says that's around 48 million people per year. And I think, man, God, why wouldn't you just save all of them? And yet, he has provided a way of salvation. And some accept his salvation, and it would seem that more reject it than accept it. So we're here this morning, and we're celebrating what God's done for us, and we should celebrate what God's done for us. But there's a grim reality that there's a world that is living and dying apart from God. We could ask this question, and I'll, if I were to ask you, why did God send the flood in Noah's day? And you'd say, well, the people were wicked. And that's, that's what scripture says, Genesis 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. But out of that, out of that group, did, God didn't wipe the whole face of the earth clean. He saved Noah and his family. I could ask you similarly, why did God destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? And you'd say, well, it was a corrupt and a sinful city. And in fact, Abraham talked to God about that, and Abraham said, God, if there's even 10 righteous people, would you spare the city? And God said, I would. But there wasn't. In Genesis chapter 15, uh, and we've referred to this, that the, the people of Israel are entering the land of Canaan because God had promised this to Abraham. But even in this promised Abraham, God said, uh, and, and Abraham was in the land of Canaan, Abraham, uh, God said to him, look, you're going to leave the land, you're going to be in a land that's not yours for 400 years, you'll be slaves there, but then I will bring you back. And this is what Je God said to Abraham, Genesis 15, 16, he says, they will come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites, these are the people that lived in the land of Canaan, is not yet complete. Or New Living Translations say, the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. God held out for the, for the people of the land of Canaan for well over 400 years that they might repent. But they did not. Deuteronomy chapter 9 uh, verses one through seven. I'm gonna. We'll read those together. And this is uh, this is Moses speaking to the people of Israel, tell them, telling them what's coming. Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today, to go in and dispossess nations greater and mightier than you, cities great and fortified up to heaven. 
a people great and tall, the sons of Anakim, whom you know and of whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak? Know therefore today that he who goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. Again, this is the work of God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you. So you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly as the Lord has promised you. <laughs> Listen to these verses. Do not say in your heart after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess the land. It's not because of the people of Israel's righteousness. Look at it. It is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going to possess the land, but because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Just in case they didn't get it. Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. God said to the people, look, I'm doing a work. God brought judgment on the people during Noah's day. He brought judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah for their sin, and now God's bringing judgment on the land of Canaan for the sin of the people there. And of course, it was a different method each time. There was a flood, there was fire, and there was the sword. These are still, though, it's still just hard for us to wrap our, our minds around it. And, and here in the, um, we're in the 21st century? We're in the 21st century, especially here in North America. Man, we have, we live a life of comfort. Modern science uh, keeps us alive, fixes these bodies. The surgeries we, 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 uh, I don't, we, we don't enjoy, but we enjoy the outcome of the surgeries. Uh, the the life-saving measures that we understand now that, I mean, we live in such comfort and prosperity. Think about this. For the last 50 years, life expectancy within the United States has been over 70. We just are accustomed. We're born, we live a long life, and it's normal to die once you get to an older age. Like, that's the way it's supposed to be. But think about this. In Haiti, 50 years ago, 50 years ago here in the U.S., we're enjoying life into our 70s, 50 years ago. 50 years ago in the country of Haiti, life expectancy was 41 years. And they've progressed quite a bit today. Um, but the world has not always enjoyed life and prosperity and health the way that we do it. So we have in our minds today that it should be a certain way. But that's not necessarily the reality of our world over history. Um, just thinking about, um, thinking about death and thinking about coronavirus and thinking about um, the, the, the people who have that, that probably you know or that I know that have passed in the last two years and you think, man, they just, they just, they just shouldn't have been that way. They were too young. And yet over the course of history, for someone to die in their 50s because of a virus or a sickness would have just been normal life. 
Think about these numbers. A hundred years ago, roughly, 1918, almost a hundred people, hundred million people died from the Spanish flu. Uh, go back into the 1300s, the uh, bubonic plague, the, the, um, the, the black plague, black death, almost between 100 and 200 million people died from that. We'll go back even just to World War I, 20 million people died during World War I. World War II, 70 million people died. Death is a reality for this world. And, 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 and I said to you at the beginning, pray for me that I handle this correctly this morning. I don't want us to be morbid. I don't want us to, be, to walk out of here with our heads down. Uh, we're, we're, we're blessed to have science and, and good health and the, and the ability to get surgeries and the ability to, to live and go out this afternoon and enjoy the beautiful mountains that we live in that God's created. I guess, though, that I, I wanted to place an emphasis on it this morning because why is there death in this world? It's because of sin. It's because of sin. Our sin is a serious thing. It separates us from God. But God has always provided a way. And even in this, even in this account here in the book of Joshua, um, there's hope. And, and you might say, yeah, there is hope, but what about the, the, what about the death? What about the destruction? Is that fair? Sometimes hard questions are hard to answer. And, 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 and there's certainly this morning, there's, we're not doing a comprehensive study on, on, on grief or why bad things happen or how does it work. John Wesley said this, bring me a worm that can comprehend a man and I, then I will show you a man that can comprehend the triune God. God is always at work. We can believe God when he tells us in Romans chapter six, the wages of sin is death. And of course, we've been talking about that. Death is a reality. But that verse continues, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we get a picture of that even here in this, in this story of this, the fall of the city of Jericho. In the middle of the, of the death and destruction, there is hope. In verse 22 here, chapter 6, uh, Joshua said to the two men that had spied out the land, go to the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in, brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all that belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel, and they burned up the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. God's always at work. And even in the midst of, of death, and even, even today, think about today, 150,000 people will die today. 
maybe 15, 16,000 of them, if, if averages hold true today, would know the Lord and, and 135 wouldn't. But there, there are some that do. And God's promise is that salvation is for all who would believe. And we've got the good news. And we can share that good news with those who don't know. In the, in the New Testament, when we read the genealogy of, Chris, of Jesus at Christmas again this year, and we read Rahab's name, we see that Rahab becomes the great-grandmother of David, and she's found in the line of Jesus. So sometimes life can be hard, and sometimes we, we deal with things and we say, God, why is it so? And, and, I, and, I, and I pray that as we've just looked at this this morning, the underlying reason for everything is because ultimately we have chosen to reject God and his plan for us. And, and, and that's, an, that's an intellectual answer that doesn't deal with a, a specific issue or hurt in your heart this morning. I understand that. But it's, this, it's a first step to understanding that this isn't God who's against us. This is a question of whether we're for God or not. And too many say to themselves, no, I'm not for God, I'm for myself. And the question for us today is, are we for God or are we for ourselves? And as a church, that's why we say we are seeking to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Some who need to start that relationship, they don't even know them. Some who know them but are asking the questions and we're saying, yeah, let's dig into the word and see if we can find answers. Apart from Jesus, there's no salvation. But with him, we have the hope of eternity. And so as I said this morning, we come in this morning, we worship him, we open his word and say, what do you have for us this morning? I believe what God's saying is apart from him, there's no life. And we've embraced that truth, and we've said, yes, Lord, I believe in you. Thank you for your, your eternal life. That's why we've worshiped, and so now as we go today, we wanna, we wanna say, Lord, when you put someone in front of me who doesn't know who you are, give me the words to say, to give them the truth, to give them the hope that they would know of this new life that's available through Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we do worship you this morning. You sent your son while we were still sinners to die for us. And you did it because you've loved us. Not because of the good things that we were doing like the people of Israel who didn't deserve the land of Canaan. We don't deserve your salvation, but you offer it. Lord, I pray if there's someone here this morning who's, who's uh, realizing, man, I'm just living for myself. I've never given my life to Jesus, that they would say, Lord, I believe I'm a sinner. I've been going my own way, and I see this morning that the path to life is through Jesus. Lord, I pray if there's someone here who's never put their faith and trust in you and said, man, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, that they would do that this morning. And Lord, for those of us who have received this free gift of salvation, I pray that you would burden us for those who have not, that we would leave here this morning looking for opportunities, praying that
that you would put someone in our path that we could share the good news, that we could share the fact that we have hope because we have a relationship with you. Lord, would you guide us in that this week, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.